Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to your Creek Church. Uh, I get the privilege of introducing somebody to come and preach this morning who first visited the church almost exactly eight years ago, uh, to, almost to the day. We couldn't figure out exactly when, but uh, Laura, my wife, uh, and I were fairly new to the church, and we met a young couple in the lobby named Joseph and Sheila, and it was their first day visiting. Um, so we made it our mission at that point to get them to stay. So there weren't a lot of young people here, and so we thought, oh, here's a young couple, they're in school also, just like us, so we're going to get them to stay. So we, we creepily stopped by their house that night and said, this is a great church, you should come, and, uh, and they did. And uh, none of us had any understanding of what God would do through that. Uh, Joseph started out as a regular attender at this church. Uh, truth be told, he was not a great one. He was not a great regular attender. We've got to tell the truth around here, people who aren't perfect. Um, so uh, 10, 10 o'clock was kind of early for him at the time. Uh, that was the service time then. And uh, he was in grad school and would stay up late watching Star Wars movies. And so it's just hard to get to church on Sunday mornings. His favorite movie, by the way, is episode one. And his favorite, <laughs> his favorite character is Jar Jar Binks. Um, <laughs> There's no other way to do that. I have to do it kind of in a roast fashion, otherwise I would just cry. Um, uh, things improved when uh, Joseph and Sheila became members of Deer Creek Church, and soon after he became one of our unpaid pastoral interns. Uh, the other intern at, the intern at the time was very tall and very handsome. Um, <laughs> Joseph served as, part of our, uh, as our part-time youth director and then our full-time youth director. Uh, Sheila also served in those roles for a couple of years and did a fantastic job. Joseph was our interim children's director for a time, our assistant pastor of family ministries, and our associate pastor of a lot of stuff um, is the best way I could describe that. All of that in eight years. So uh, Joseph just struggles to hold down a steady job <laughs> is basically what, what that means. Uh, I think if we would have tried like two or three more, we could have found something that he was good at, but... We kind of ran out of time there. So, uh, joking aside, though, through Joseph's ministry to students, lives and eternities were impacted. Through his preaching, people's understanding of Jesus was shaped, in some cases, for the first time ever, and in other cases, reshaped for the hundredth time. Through his, his pastoral counseling, uh, people in difficult circumstances were, were encouraged and challenged and counseled in the midst of their difficulties. Young staff members were encouraged in their leadership and built up. We are better for a church family for having Joseph and Sheila here. Uh, Dwayne said it well at our last elders meeting uh, a couple weeks ago. He said that Joseph, whether he likes it or not, is a son of Deer Creek Church. He, uh, he was instructed in the gospel in these seats. He was given his first ministry position in youth ministry here at this church. His first sermon was preached on this stage, and this congregation, this body of believers, ordained him to the ministry. And now we get the opportunity to send them out with our blessing uh, to follow the call of God in North Carolina, which is a hot, muggy state with lots of bugs. Every time you get bit by a bug, I want you to think, why did we leave Colorado? <laughs> they also have hurricanes there. Um, would you join me in welcoming to the stage one last time, Pastor Joseph McCormick.
Thank you, Tim. Uh, there was some revisionist history in there. <laughs> so there's a few things that I would maybe challenge. Uh, one thing, <laughs> but uh, one thing I would I would definitely uh, reiterate is uh, Tim is a, Tim is a really uh, really good pastor and a really good leader. Boy, he's a great friend. And uh, Sheila and I are, I promise anyone from Hope who's watching, we are truly excited, um, truly grateful um, to follow God's call to North Carolina. And it's hard. It's hard leaving really great friends. Not just Tim, but each and every one of you. I wish you were bigger jerks. (laughs) It would be a lot easier to say goodbye. Um, But I, I... I have to say it now because I, I don't think I'll be able to get it out towards the end of this, uh, but uh, thank you. It, it is, uh, it's been an honor to be a pastor here. But being a member of this church, I am a much better man for it. Better father, better husband, better follower of Jesus. So thank you for letting me be a pastor here, but thank you for the, the real honor of just being a part of this family. I should close in prayer. It's all downhill after that. Um, <laughs> well, having said that, uh, what's, what's the same about this Sunday and uh, what's, what's different? Um, the same is uh, there's going to be a message. I'm um, going to preach a message here. We're going to study scripture together, something we do every single Sunday we gather and uh, let God encourage us let God challenge us, uh, hopefully learn and grow in our faith here together. A bunch of different people, a lot of different backgrounds, but worshiping the same God. That's the same. Uh, what is, uh, what's different? Uh, you, you may have noticed if you've been here the last couple of years, this is, I don't have notes when I preach. Um, this is just, it's a stylistic thing. It's nothing special or, um, you know, holier about that. It's just something developmentally I've been trying and um, no notes for the last couple of years. And I enjoy um, just prepping well and getting to try and communicate from the heart as I'm teaching. I'm going to cheat this week, though. Um, I have some notes. Um, I actually have a note. Um, this is my notes for the sermon. It's not as short as you might hope. <laughs> um, this is the note I wrote to myself uh, at the start of last week. Um, said, Joseph, trust in God and try to hold it together, you big crybaby. No one wants to watch you cry for half an hour on Sunday. So I might have to consult my notes at a couple points throughout the sermon if I, uh, if I get lost. Um, so that's, uh, that's different. There's, it's bittersweet. This is a bittersweet Sunday uh, because uh, this is uh, the last time I'd be preach- I'll be preaching here and uh, last day on staff uh, for me. So it's probably going to be a few more tears uh, than usual. Um, probably the same number of tears as if Dwayne was preaching. But uh, uh, I'm very grateful for this chance, grateful for this opportunity, and uh, grateful to get to study God's word with you one last time. So let's pray together. Does that sound good? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for this messy <laughs> and wonderful thing that is your church. Lord, thank you for Deer Creek Church a place for people who aren't perfect and don't pretend to be. Uh, It's a place my family has has really fit in well, where we've been loved well and uh, been served well, and we've had the opportunity to do those things well. Uh, Holy Lord, I pray that uh, your name would be made great here this morning, that the cross of Jesus Christ would be magnified, 
Lord, that your fierce love for us would be known by every single person here, men, women, children, families, that every single one of us uh, would feel the freedom, Lord, to come here as we are, but also, Lord, not leave how we came because of the grace of God. So teach us, Lord. Guard my words. Um, sanctify this time. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, six and a half years ago, Dwayne, uh, Tim mentioned that uh, I came on staff uh, as the part-time youth director uh, here at Deer Creek Church. I was uh, in seminary down the road. I was a very regular attendee. Very. <laughs> once a month is, is right. Yeah. Uh, I was very regular and had been an intern for a little while. Uh, but this was my first ministry gig. This, this is the first time I had a job in a church. And uh, it's kind of a big deal, I think, for seminarians. You know, it's one thing to learn something in a classroom. It's, it's another thing to, okay, can I apply this? Can, can I actually do this in the real world with real people, real students, real families? And uh, my wife would tell you I was scared out of my mind. I was pretty, pretty anxious uh, coming into this role. Well, at the time, uh, the church had another associate pastor, a, a great guy named Steve Sage. Many of you know Steve, or maybe you've heard the name uh, Steve Sage. He was here. Uh, he had mentored me through my time at Denver Seminary. And uh, I think he knew how excited but also anxious I was uh, stepping into this new season, this new ministry role. And so the passage we're going to look at here together is kind of poetic. It's kind of appropriate because this is the very, very same passage that uh, Steve Sage sat down and read to me on my very first day on staff. And I get to read it to you on my uh, last day on staff. And uh, that's really significant. So this is Matthew 25 verses 14 through 30. This is called the parable of the talents. Uh, your version might call it the uh, parable of the gold bags, the bags of gold. And Jesus is teaching his disciples right before his crucifixion. Uh, he's uh, using a parable, which is an allegorical story to make a point. And this is, uh, this is what he read. And you can follow along on the screen behind me or uh, listen along. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five talents, and to another two talents, and to another one one talent, each according to his ability. <clears throat> then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained you five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrust me with two talents. See, I have gained you two more. His master replied in the same way, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one talent came, Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here, is, here it is. Here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. 
So take the talent from him, the, one, the unfaithful servant, and give it to the one who has ten. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Steve Sage, sitting at Panera Bread over here at Aspen Grove, read that passage to me that morning. And I'm wondering, where in the world is he going with this? Uh, Steve is a great guy and had mentored me for a while. And as he finished reading this passage, he closed up his Bible. He pushed up his glasses and he leaned in. He said, Joseph, I want you to know something. I have worked with some truly gifted leaders in my years. I have worked with people who are brilliant, passionate, mature, experienced, thoughtful. I have worked with five-talent leaders. I've learned under five-talent leaders in seminary. I've learned under five-talent leaders in the church, past churches, and also here at Deer Creek Church. And so based on that experience, I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, you are just a two-talent leader. Okay. I guess this is orientation to Deer Creek. I guess this is how they, hey, welcome to staff. You're a two-talent leader. You're a two-talent leader. Uh, where in the world was he going with this? If you knew Steve, and I did know Steve, I, Steve's a great guy. He's also just kind of a chess master personality. Uh, he's like a Mr. Miyagi. He's always thinking a couple steps ahead. So he's like teaching you karate without teaching you karate. Steve had a very intentional point in saying this to me. He wasn't just trying to insult me. He wasn't just trying to hurt my feelings. But as he said this to me, you are just a two-talent leader. He sat back and he watched my reaction. Because in that moment, he saw on my face, and he saw the swirl of emotions start to come up inside me. All of my insecurities and all of my fears and all of my doubts all come to the surface. What went from befuddlement and confusion turned to frustration, insecurity, he actually knows the truth about me. What if there are people who are more qualified than me? What if there are people who are smarter than me, better than me, more charismatic, more gifted, more knowledgeable, more mature? There certainly are. I know there are. I go to school with them. What do I do? And so as he saw that confusion turn to frustration and insecurity, even turned to anger and getting kind of frustrated that he's called me out, he's actually identified what I was afraid of all along. That's when Steve said something to me that I have reflected on that I have considered, that I have prayed through for the last six and a half years. Uh, it's something that has shadowed me from meeting to meeting, from conversation to conversation, from ministry area to ministry area. It has haunted me these last six and a half years in the best way possible. That's when Steve, watching all of this insecurity come to the surface, he leaned in. He said, you are just a two-talent leader. So how are you going to use it? Are you going to bury it? Are you going to hide it? Are you going to be consumed by insecurities and fears and doubts and comparisons? Or are you going to go all in? With every bit of the two talents you have to love this church and to love these students and love these families and honor God. Well, I was going to throw a tantrum, but now you say it like that, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't really feel like an option anymore. That is something that was spoken into my life six and a half years ago that I felt called by God that I want to speak into your lives right now. 
Now, Steve and I had a lot of relationship, and there was just one one-on-one there. There's a lot, whole, there's a whole acre of y'all here. I don't uh, use my North Carolina parlance. I got to brush that up a little. Uh, whole acre of y'all. Um, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say you are a one-talent, you are a two-talent leader, but I want to ask you that question. What kind of person are you? Are you a five-talent person? Are you a two-talent person? Are you a one-talent person? Do you have a, a two-talent job or a one-talent job? Do you have a five-talent marriage? Or is it just a two-talent marriage? What have you been given? See, this parable, like, like a river bro- riverboat dredge, it, it drags the surface of who we are, the, the, beneath the surface of who we are, and brings all of these insecurities and doubts and questions to the surface for us. And there are two questions in particular that I want to pose to you this morning, or I want you to invite you to wrestle with and consider with me as I have these last six and a half years, and that is these two questions. What have I been given? What have I been entrusted with? What kind of person am I? But more importantly, how am I going to use it? How am I going to use what I've been given? How am I going to leverage what God has entrusted to me? So that's the questions. Those are the questions we're going to sit with this morning. Sound good? That first question, I'm not saying it's not important. What have I been, what have I been given? It's important enough that we need to give it some consideration. And as we look at this parable, it, it actually does highlight that there are some commonalities in what the master has entrusted to his servants. And, and I would extrapolate and say there are commonalities in what God has entrusted to every single one of us here. It's good to know that there are commonalities because look around. We're not gifted the same way. We don't have the same background, the same experience, same knowledge, same relationship, same marriage. That's actually a good thing. And yet there are some common threads that bind us together. So what bound these servants together? What had the master entrusted to all of them, even if it was maybe in different capacities, different amounts? There are three things I think you see the master has given to them. He's given them time. The master has lovingly entrusted his servants in this parable with time. We see this in verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Well, how long is a long time? I don't know. I I don't think that's exactly the point, but it was enough time. It was enough time for the master to let them do what he needed them to do, what he expected his servants to do. It was enough time to be faithful with what they'd been given or enough time to be fearful with what they'd been given. How much time do you have left? That's kind of an ominous question on a Sunday morning. Uh, we, we don't know. We don't, we don't know how much time we have left. I don't know how much time you have left. If I had to go on a limb, I would say each of you has a little bit more time left than I do because I'm moving to the Southeast where we have the phrase, if it's not fried, it's not food. So you can expect a couple of years to get shaved off my life. You follow me on Facebook. I'm going to gain like 80 pounds in the next two weeks. Um, death by fried chicken. That's what I'm going for. Look, I, I, don't, I don't know how much time you have left. And the same way that I don't know how much time I have left. I do know it's enough time. I do know that God has graciously given us enough time to be faithful or, or to be fearful. You know, how long do we have on this earth? Man, I don't know. How long do we have before Jesus returns? Jesus says, only the Father knows that. No one knows the day and the hour except the Father. What I do know that you have 
what I have is today. See, every single person in here, it doesn't matter if you woke up this morning in a studio apartment or you woke up in an eight-bedroom mansion, you were given this day. Every single one of us, if you are a teenager or you're not a teenager, you're a retiree, you're much older than that. If you're married or single, every single one of us today has been given this day, these hours, these minutes. And we can choose how we will use them. Will we be faithful with them or will we be fearful? If I had to ask you, how wisely do you use your time? What would you say? If a friend was to go through your calendar, scroll through your calendar on your phone, or if maybe you're a Luddite and you, you could use an old school paper, paper calendar, you know, what would your friend say about how you use your time? Would they say that you use your time wisely? Or you maybe lose your time thoughtlessly? If you had to rank yourself one to 10, how would you say? It's kind of arbitrary numbers, but it's good for us to consider. Okay, I have been given something. What am I doing? with what I've been given. That's the first commonality. That's the first thing that we see the master gives to each of the servants. There's something else that we see him entrust graciously, lovingly to each of his servants. That's treasure. The master has given them treasure. He's given them resources. He's given them opportunity to use their finances, the material objects uh, for good, actually for growth. Um, we see this, we see that he gives different amounts, but he's given each of them resources. To one, to one servant, the master gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one, one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. It's, it's important for us to note, uh, and maybe your, your translations say this, a talent is a massive amount of money. Right? We're, not, we're not talking about change someone scraped together from under the couch, like, oh, here's a quarter for you, and here's a nickel for you, this is a dime. A talent was the equivalent of about a million dollars. Right? This is like, whoever's giving away just kind of willy-nilly, here's some five talents for you, two talents for you, one talent for you. This is Scrooge McDuck level of wealth. Right? This is bags of canvas bags with dollar signs on them. You could probably go swimming in if you pile it all together. This is a massively wealthy individual who is doling out these talents who is trusting his servants with these talents, with this treasure, with these resources. If I asked you the question, how wisely do you use your resources, your resources, what might you say? If you're a cynic like me, you might be thinking to yourself, Good, pastor, come on. It's always gotta be about money. Just so you know, pastors hate talking about money. I don't like talking about money. No pastor I've ever met enjoys talking about money. I, uh, I even as a, as a new Christian, as someone who was really putting my faith into practice uh, early in college, uh, I hated going to church and hearing pastors talk about money. And I had this conversation one time uh, with a mentor. Her name was Jennifer Hagen, great leader through InterVarsity, uh, where I, I came to faith in college. And uh, I had just gone to church uh, as a as a regular attendee, so I, you know, like once a month. I had just gone to church, and I just heard this pastor talk about money the whole time, and I was so frustrated, and I went to her and said, Jennifer, why do pastors always have to talk about money? Why can't they just talk about the stuff that Jesus talked about? And then she said, yeah, let's talk about that. Let's, let's open up the Gospels. Let's look at what Jesus talked about. He talked about treasure, y'all. He talked about resources. He talked about wisely investing what we've been entrusted with. Did you know that one out of every 10 verses in the Gospels 
relates to money. One out of 10 in those four biographies about Jesus have to do with resources. Did you know there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible about resources and stewarding our resources well? That's four times more verses than there are about prayer or faith. Look, pastors don't like talking about money, but if we're going to be people of integrity as we study the Bible, we have to recognize the Bible's got a lot to say about stewarding our resources well. Boy, Jesus did too. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It's possible that what we do with our treasure, what we do with our resources, what we do with what we've been entrusted with, no matter how small, no matter how great, that actually reflects the state of our heart. We see that God has entrusted each of his servants with treasure. There's one more thing that we see that uh, the, the master is really utilizing. He is allowing his, his uh, servants to, to leverage here. And that is talent. And I, and I get I'm mixing metaphors here. I just for, I'm, I'm addicted to alliteration. I'm a pastor. Time, treasure, talent, abilities, opportunities. Each of these servants is actually differently gifted than one another. Did you catch that? Same verse, verse 15. New emphasis there. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two talents. To another one, one talent. Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Why did one servant get five talents and another one got two and another one got one? We don't know. It, it, it doesn't explain to us why, but there was something about what the master knew about that servant or what he knew about their situation or what he knew about their abilities that led him to invest his resources in that way. Now, it's important to note, he actually expected different returns from different ones in this. Whatever he had entrusted them with, he expected them to use their abilities to the fullest to make the most of it. Let me ask you a question. What would you, or how would you say you use your abilities? The unique elements of your personality or the opportunities in your relationships how wisely, how well, how intentionally do you leverage what God has entrusted to you as men and women, as parents and engineers and teachers and stay-at-home parents? How wisely do you use the abilities and opportunities that God has given you? Well, we see in this passage, we see that we can use it fearfully or we can use them faithfully. Have you ever taken, anyone here ever taken a personality test? You can just show of hands. Yeah, that's, I've been telling people for years, there's a lot of personalities in this church. So that confirms that. Yeah, personality test, the DISC, the Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, uh, Strength Finders. If you've ever taken a test like this, it tends to highlight for us what are some of the ways that we are sewn up. Uh, nature, nurture, you know, how we've been created, but also how our circumstances have shaped us. What abilities are unique to us, both in how we relate to people, how we relate to our work, and how we relate to God. There are unique elements of who we are. You know, if you've, uh, anyone here ever taken a spiritual, get, uh, spiritual gifts assessment, spiritual gifts test? Okay, a few people. If you go through starting point, we actually do both of these here at Deer Creek. We, we actually have you take a personality test, which is kind of fun to see, hey, how has God uniquely crafted and created you as an individual? And we also do a spiritual gifts assessment. And it's not the be all end all. It's not this great scientific process, but it's a great conversation starter. Look, if you've ever wondered, what have I been given? What abilities do I have? How has God uniquely sewn me up or crafted me? Man, that's a great place to go. That's a great way to dig more deeply into that question of what have I been given? 
Every single person here, doesn't matter if this is your first time in church or you can't remember the last time you missed church. Every single one of us has been entrusted with time. You have been given this day. This is the day the Lord has made. So I will rejoice and be glad in it. You have been given this day. How are we using our time? You have been given treasure. You don't feel like, I, Joseph, Scrooge McDuck's not handing out sacks of gold to me. I don't know what you're talking about. You do have resources. You do have opportunities, great or small. You have things that have been entrusted to you. How wisely are you using it? Lastly, you have abilities. There are unique ways you're shown. Paul talks about this, 1 Corinthians 12, the, the, the unity of the body of Christ, how great and glorious it is that we are not like one another. Aren't you glad you're not like me? You should be thankful for that every single day of your life. You look, yeah, I'm really glad I'm not like that guy. You're not. That's a good thing. The master has uniquely crafted every single one of us to use our abilities, different abilities, different skills, all to be used faithfully. And that brings us back to that second question, that looming question, which is really what was at the heart of what Steve Sage, the former associate pastor, was trying to rub my face in that day. I don't mean that in a bad way, but just to remind me what really matters. It's not what you have been given, though we have been given a great deal. The question is, how am I going to use it? How am I going to use what God has gifted me with? Am I going to use it faithfully? Or am I going to use it fearfully? That is a question we are forced to wrestle with every single day. That's a question we're forced to wrestle with in every aspect of our lives. Our time. Our treasure our talents, our abilities. Will we be faithful or will we be fearful? We see the servants wrestle with this and we see a marked difference, not just in what they've been entrusted with, which is true, there is a difference, but the most telling thing, the most important thing to note is the different way they use what they've been entrusted with. We see this here. The man who had received five talents five sacks of gold, five million bucks, went at once, at once, right away, no delay, no hesitation, went right away and put his money to work and gained five more talents. So also the one with two talents gained. He put it to work right away. It's risky. Anyone who's ever invested knows it's risky, whether you've invested financially or you've invested relationally. Risky. You're, you're not always going to get 100% ROI. That's, that's pretty good return on investment. We know how risky investing what we've been given, and yet the servants receiving the joy of their master say, I have been entrusted with this. I will be faithful, and I will leverage it all. I'm going all in with what I've got. Who is the bigger winner of the two servants here? If you had to just be really practical, say you were giving out money and you were trying to you know, congratulate people for earning you money, which of those two servants, the five-talent servant or the two-talent servant, who's the bigger winner? Hey, cheaters. Yeah, they're the same. They, they, you, know, you could say the guy with five started with more, but he earned five more. He earned more than the one with two. Well, he started with more, yeah, but he, he earned more. Someone who is able to earn you more money should be maybe lauded a little bit more. He, and he started with more, so he was clearly worthy of more trust. Look at the master's response. Look at how the master responds to each of them. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, <laughs> which is so funny, a few things. Yeah, here's a, here's a few million bucks. It's just a few things. The master is that 
incredibly wealthy and generous, but you have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. It's not a typo. That's not a mistake. Literally, word for word, the same accolades, the same response from the master. Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You were faithful with what you've been given. You were given different things. That's okay. You were both faithful. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the master's happiness. No matter what you were given, you were faithful with it. Same response from the giver. Same response from the master. But then there's fear, right? And there's that, that temptation that Steve Sage saw in me years ago. And I, if I'm being honest, existing with me right here, right now. I'm going to a new church. Y'all know I'm a weirdo. Y'all appreciate that I'm a weirdo. You, you know that I'm not great at certain things, but I am good at other things. I have, there's trust and there's relationship here, but I'm about to go somewhere new. It's hard. It's hard saying goodbye to a bunch of people you love. It's hard saying goodbye to a place you love. Tempted to be fearful. Tempted to not want to go all in. Tempted to hold back and tempted to say, oh, if only things had been a little bit different. And yet the master has said, be faithful. See, fear has this special way, this this insidious, this toxic way of distorting our perception. Perception of ourselves, perception of the people around us, and I would say our perceptions of the master. Fear is this way of gunking up our systems. Read, read the unfaithful servant's response when the master calls him to account. Then the man who had received one talent came and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. I, I knew that you're going to lay claim to everything. Everything's yours already. You don't even have to work for it. It's just yours. So I was afraid. I was afraid and I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here, here it is. Here's what belongs to you. He played it safe. He risked nothing. He gained nothing. The master was not pleased. The master actually called him lazy and wicked because he had not faithfully used what he'd been entrusted with. I don't think that God commends us when we play it safe. I think if you look at the biblical narrative, I think if you look at the way the gospel unfolds through scripture, I think if you look at the way that Jesus himself lived his life and went to the cross, Jesus risked a great deal. God risked a great, great deal on us. His disciples were commended when they were faithful, not when they played it safe. Fear distorts our perceptions. It it distorts our understanding of God and it distorts what God has given us. The beauty and the glory and the majesty of what's right in front of us. Probably like half of my sermons, I quote Calvin and Hobbes. If you don't know Calvin and Hobbes, you should. It's the greatest comic strip of all time. Can I get an amen? It's fantastic. Yeah, there you go. That's the only thing I'm gonna get an amen for. Calvin and Hobbes, I love it. Look, I've, I've got a Calvin Hobbes strip here. I think this summarizes fear distorts what's right in front of us. It, it, <laughs> here we go. This is Calvin, little boy, sitting with his tiger. Man, I bet I'm missing some great TV shows right now. Look at the beauty of what's right in front of him. Look at the glory of what's right in front of him. This beautiful sunset over a picturesque lake there with his best friend there in that moment. 
ah, I bet I'm, bet I'm missing out. I'm missing some great TV shows right now. Fear distorts that. Have you ever heard the phrase FOMO, that acronym? Anyone know what that stands for? Fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. If you've never heard this, kind of been in common parlance the last couple of years. Fear of missing out wrecks our appreciation of our situations and of God. What is right in front of us? See, fear causes me to lash out and compare myself to others. Fear causes me actually to be so self-focused and say, woe is me, or I wish I had this, or if only this was going on. Fear distorts our understanding of who God is and who he has made us to be. So as we're winding down, there's a couple of questions that we've wrestled with. What, you know, what have I been given? That's a good one. Sit with that. Don't stay with that. Think through what you have been given, what you've been entrusted with, because I guarantee you have been entrusted with something. And ask the question, ask that hard question that Steve put in front of me, how am I going to use what I've been given? But there's a third question. There's a third question because there's another servant in this story. The servant is really the master. Look, who is the giver? That's a bigger question for us to wrestle with. Yes, what have I been given? And how should I use my given? But who is this master that would choose to entrust things to me and people like me? Choose to give me family, choose to give me resources, choose to give me opportunities, choose to give me even the breath in my lungs in the time of this day. Who is the giver? He's the 1,000 talent servant. He's the, the one million talent servant. He's the, he's the one billion talent, talent servant. He's the servant who owns everything because he's the master. And he set it all aside. He went all in on you and on me because of his love. That giver is Jesus. And the wealth of heaven and the majesty of heaven and the glory of heaven and all creation was his. And he said, I'm setting it all aside. I'm going all in. Not on my friends, not on the ones who respect me, not on the ones who worship me. I'm going all in on my enemies. I'm going in, <clears throat> excuse me, just hold my notes. I'm going all in on Joseph McCormick's fearful, sinful Joseph McCormick's and people just like him. I'm going all in, like fireworks in reverse this big, glorious, beautiful thing taking on a simple form. We read this in Philippians 2, talking about Jesus and the way he went all in on us. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Who's the giver? Jesus. The one who had it all, who went all in on me and you. Tim and I have reflected on this passage for the last few years and we said, man, I wish there was a servant who just, you know, he'd been given all this and he just, and he just levers it all. And he says, master, you gave me 10 talents and I went all in and I lost every bit of it. And the servant's not there, but, but we have the servant Jesus on the cross. Was it worth it? 
You better believe it. It was worth it to the God of the universe to go all in and lay it all down, even his life, because of his ferocious love for you and for me. So we have a question. How then do we live? You know, what, what have we been given? What do we do with what we've been given? Well, how we live and how, what we do with what we've been given, it's all impacted by who the giver is. So we have a faithful God. Not fearful. Not scared that we're going to waste what he's been given, what he has given us. We have a faithful God. And out of that, we should be faithful people. Let me ask you, do you know anyone who's faithful with their time? Like really faithful with their time? And I do. Tim Rehnquist is very faithful with his time. He's our executive pastor. He works behind the scenes. He's not an attention hog like I am, getting up front very much, but Tim works really, really hard. He is very faithful with his time. I'm very grateful for that. I mean, I work hard. I mean, I'll put in a solid 20, uh, <laughs> which is a lot for a pastor. Uh, Tim works really, really hard. And the grace of the giver, that's why he does it. Because Tim, Tim could work really hard. <laughs> Tim, Tim's a five-talent guy. Tim could work really hard and make oodles of money in just about any situation he's in. Grace of the giver changes him. And he's called to be here and he's called to serve and love behind the scenes. Tim is the brainstem of this church. Everything goes through him, but you don't really see it. Um, he's, a, he's a great pastor and he's a great friend. And I'm, I'm more regular in my Sunday attendance because of him. I'm a better father and I'm a better husband. I'm a better pastor because he has taught me how to be faithful with my time. Because I got to confess, in of myself, I'm pretty fearful, pretty wasteful. Do y'all know anyone who's a, who's really faithful with their, with their money, with their resources? I do. Actually, know a whole, whole heap of you here at the church who are very faithful, very generous with your resources and what God has entrusted to you. The Burns are very faithful with their resources. Josh and Miriam Burns, who have served faithfully in leading our children's ministry these past years. We, we were doing a staff training a couple year, year or so ago, a couple years back, and uh, it, it was about our personal finances and also church finances. And through that, kind of, kind of just through those conversations, uh, I became aware, actually, uh, Tim and Dwayne and myself all became aware that Josh and Miriam Burns give more to missions uh, at this time. They were giving more to missions than every other pastor on staff. Actually, after some conversations, even more than many of our elders were giving <laughs> on staff. What in the world is up with that? This is a young couple in their 20s, who, who have an apartment they're renting, who uh, have student loan debt, who have a newborn at home. <laughs> Tell them to knock it off. They're making us look bad. <laughs> they're faithful. They just, that's why they do it. It's the, it's the grace of the giver. They know that God has faithfully given to them, so they want to faithfully reflect that and invest that into things like missions and things like serving and feeding, and clothing, and loving people. Do you know anyone who's faithful in the abilities God has given them? Look around you. Y'all, this is what sets this church apart. 
Not that we are so incredibly, immensely gifted, though. Many of you are. This church serves faithfully. There are people, men and women, in this church who serve like crazy. And I can't, I can't wait for the day when I'm going to get to heaven. And, uh, you know, people that I've prayed with or people that I've preached and maybe have responded to the gospel have come to faith. And I'm going to see them. And you want to know what they're going to do? Go right past me. And they're going to thank you. <clears throat> they're going to say, thank you for serving me. Thank you for giving me a cup of coffee. Thank you for loving my children. Thank you for greeting me and smiling when I was having the worst day ever. Thank you for opening your home and letting me join your small group. You're going to run right past me. There are lots of faithful people here in this church. If I had a couple more hours, I could get through maybe a quarter of them. I'm very grateful for that because I'm, I tend to be pretty, pretty fearful in terms of using my abilities or my opportunities to serve others. <laughs> Do you know, wind down with this. Do you know anyone who's just incredibly gifted? Just incredibly gifted. And I do. His name is Dwayne Corey. And he's sort of my hero. Oh, he's so gifted, it makes me sick sometimes. Oh, he's such a good preacher. And someday, I might, I might, after decades of work, I might be a fraction of the preacher he is. But what really is highlighted in Duane and reflected in this church is his humility. No one that gifted should be that humble. And I can't wrap my mind around how he's done it, except for the grace of the giver, except for Philippians 2, except for the fact that Jesus humbled himself and Dwayne has spent the last six and a half years listening to me pitch dumb ideas. And listen to Tim pitch fewer dumb ideas, but still some dumb ideas. And other members of staff, he's in rare air. Show me a leader who's been somewhere for 30 years that wants to hear from a few young, <laughs> few young pastors who really don't know what they're talking about. He's humble. And he's gracious. And he's very, very gifted. And I will forever be grateful the opportunity to, to learn how to be a pastor under him. Man, to learn how to be a man, to learn how to be a son of the King of Kings and a friend of Jesus from him. That's what I will always be grateful for. What have you been given? Are you a five-talent person? Are you a two-talent person? Are you a one-talent person? I don't know. It's a good thing to wrestle with. It's a good thing to think about. Better question. How are you going to live? What are you going to do with what you've been given? Six and a half years ago, I was challenged to, to go all in. And that's my <laughs> exhortation, my plea. Go all in. Because I promise you the God of the universe has gone all in on you. He loves you. He's proud of you. doesn't matter what you produce. Be faithful. Don't be fearful. You have nothing to fear. <laughs> Last thing. As I was praying, how, to, how in the world do I end this sermon without you know, bawling my eyes out? 
Jamar's sort of doing. Excuse me. Um, I was praying, what, what would be the last thing God would want me to say to this church, to my church? And it would be well done. <clears throat> you have loved people who are difficult to love, like myself. You have been patient. You have been kind. You have been generous. Well done. Thank you for so faithfully serving and loving my family and me. You have been faithful with a little, but there's a lot more to come. I'm sad I won't be here to see it, but I know it's going to be big. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord, our gracious, our kind, our loving giver who meets every need, physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, Lord. You, you know what we need. You know our places of brokenness and fear and doubt. And you love us all the same, Lord. So God, I pray that you would go before us. Bless us and keep us. Make your face shine upon us. Lord, shine upon this church. Let Deer Creek Church be a reflection of the giver, the grace of the giver, the love of the giver, the generosity of the giver in every way in the months and the years and the decades ahead. Lord, I look forward with eagerness and anticipation to the day I get to celebrate in heaven alongside every single one of these people here. But in the meantime, Lord, bless this church. Bless these families. Bless these men and women. Stir our hearts and our affections for you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.